at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. I get the feeling you're going to have some thoughts on the things we're saying today. Uh, Fitz, would you like to get in a word quickly before I go off for a second here? Uh, Sarah, the floor is yours, my friend. <laughs> okay. I just want to <laughs> I mean, quickly look, point I, out. I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I, I just want I want to say that there is actually proof digitally on the old Twitter machine that my first reaction to the Dodgers winning the World Series was, I'm so happy for my longtime Dodger fan friends that they finally got off the schneid and got the win after getting so close of late. I only wish for them that they could experience the full magic of a regular World Series win and a full-length season where they were in the games in the stands every night. They get a parade, and they're celebrating the way they normally would instead of COVID. Then all of a sudden, all the Justin Turner stuff unravels. And I want to make it clear that everything that I just said is still true. I still feel for the fans. I still wish that they were able to be reminiscing about the moments in that series and that game that allowed them to get a W instead of nitpicking and defending the very clearly bad decisions made by baseball, by Justin Turner, and by the Dodgers. And there are a million aspects of this to get to, Fisk, but let's start with the very obvious. It does not matter how overcome with emotion and excited you are about winning something, about your teammate one wanting them to be there. If you have an extremely contagious virus that's potentially deadly and could have long-lasting, serious effects for everyone around you, none of whom signed up to be standing next to or anyone near someone who was positive, all of whom were promised that daily testing and protocols would prevent them from being near anyone who was positive, then you need to decide... That you are that person. Like, I don't care about anyone else. And 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 actually, I don't even think they're deciding, Fitz. I think you've already decided. I think no matter what the situation is, if you are someone who respected this disease and the people around you, then you would have decided so far in advance that if you ever got positive, you would never run the risk of infecting someone. But if you decided you didn't care or it was a hoax or it wasn't a big deal or you didn't really it didn't really mean much to you what everybody else and their pregnant wives and the security and the media and the, and the coaches that have survived cancer, if that didn't matter to you, then that's exactly what you'd do is you'd say, I'm more important. Me getting out there is more important and not wearing a mask and kissing my wife and hugging people is more important than at the very least going to a corner of the field and watching everything from afar with your guys. But no, you didn't even care about that, Justin Turner. I I can't even get my thoughts out, Fitz, because there are still people that are defending this in ways that I just can't understand. So, you know, I'll go back to a buddy of mine, Braden Goss, that told me years ago, we were on the radio one day, and he said, you know what, fair's where a pig gets a ribbon. And I understand (laughs) that, like, it feels like fair is, okay, he wants to celebrate with his teammates. That's just not real in 2020. And I'll be dark for a second. I mean, we live in a world where, frankly, there are parents, grandparents, children. There are people dying in hospitals alone every day because hospitals won't allow you to be in contact Mm -hmm. with somebody in a COVID world. There are people dying by themselves. And we're going to turn around and say, yeah, but he won the World Series, so he wants to celebrate with his teammates. Well, frankly, my father-in-law had a serious surgery. I wanted to be there with him. I can't be there with him because of the constraints of COVID. So I'm not going to sit here and say that in 2020, we should be valuing the need to celebrate with your teammates above the need for human life. I mean, at some point, how asinine are we that we're going to sit there and say, yeah, but he won the world. I don't care. At some point, once you've tested positive, it's no longer about what you want. It's about what you have to do. And I cannot imagine, God forbid, but I can't imagine how he will feel if God forbid by him coming out on the, the, the field to celebrate, it, it causes anybody to get COVID that causes anybody to die. And that's the real implication here. And that's unfortunately where we are in 2020. It stinks. But the fact that he went out there without a mask on, sitting right next to people that are high risk, is, is just absolutely inexcusable for the human being. It's inexcusable for Major League Baseball. These, these are the moments where you've got to look at everybody and simply demand better. Major League Baseball's statement today, um, immediately upon receiving notice from the laboratory of a positive test, protocols were triggered, leading to the removal of Justin Turner from last night's game. Turner was placed into isolation for the safety of those around him. However, following the Dodgers' victory, it is clear that Turner chose to disregard the agreed-upon joint protocols and the instructions he was given regarding the safety and protection of others. While a desire to celebrate is understandable, Turner's decision to leave isolation and enter the field was wrong and put everyone he came in contact with at a risk. When MLB security raised the matter of being on the field with Turner, he emphatically refused to comply. 
They're going to investigate now. They said they've done nasal swabs on the Dodgers party, the Rays, the Dodgers. Their their travel will be approved and effect, and affected by the results of those tests. Fitz, you know, it's not just that he emphatically refused to comply, which to me is like a microcosm for our country, right? What I want to do right now is more important than what every expert has told me, what every doctor and scientist and epidemiologist has said. What I want to do right now is more important to me than the safety of the people around me, right? That is why we are here seven or eight months into this, no closer to a finish line, test numbers going up across the country, shutdowns happening everywhere you look because people are making the same kind of choices that Justin Turner did last night. And Jessica Mendoza, I think, this morning on Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin summed it up. It should never be left up to a person or a team. I mean, Keyshawn J. Will, you guys get this. Like, if it's up to you, of course, you want to get your your butt back out there on the field with your team and celebrate to have to think about, you know, a test and all those things. That's why it shouldn't be left up to him. This is Major League Baseball. Like, they need, once he was positive you got to put him in a car and get him out of there because you know. I mean, this is an athlete that's going to want to get back out on the field. And if you're positive, like, quarantine starts now, and you need to get him away. And that did not happen. He ended up back out on the field, and, you know, we saw the aftermath. Well, Fitz, it's not just Turner. It's not just his Dodgers teammates and manager and staff members who let him stay out there and embraced him. And it's not just Major League Baseball for thinking that it's a sufficient protocol to have a test that doesn't come back until 8 p.m. the next night, thereby forcing them to fast-track another test. Why weren't those other tests fast-tracked in the first place so that if you have an inconclusive, you're not out there on the field? It's also that MLB never decided to be proactive in terms of COVID. Remember when the Marlins first got positive tests? They took a team vote over whether they wanted to take the field anyway, and they did. A team vote was the thing that decided that positive Marlins players would keep playing. MLB never had a pandemic response of their own. They left it up to teams and expected people to, quote unquote, act responsibly. To me, that is saying essentially figure out based on the situation how much money we will lose as a league and as teams and as individuals. If you have to take a player out or cancel a game, we're not going to enforce or craft any codes of conduct for teams because then we can be slippery enough with when we want to enforce them to not have to act if it's going to be against our best interests. That is on baseball. So we can't turn everything on Justin Turner. No, absolutely. And I will say that Justin Turner made a decision as a grown man to go out there. And he knows that that decision, I would hope he would know that that decision was the wrong one. But you're right. Major League Baseball set a precedent of a lack of uh, ability to enforce any of this. And quickly, I will say this, Sarah, I I will continue to use thunder of the gods. If any of these sports want to be taken seriously, any of these leagues, whether it's the NFL or Major League Baseball, anyone else, they've got to start punishing with the thunder of the gods in a way that makes everybody stand up and say, wow. I mean, I would rather see a punishment that forces a renegotiation of the collective to bargaining agreement than see nothing be done at all. And that's where we are right now. It feels like nothing is being done. Well, we're going to get to that. What will be done? What should be done? And what are we hearing about what might happen to Justin Turner and the Dodgers? It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Baseball wasn't going to take a dude out who's celebrating with his team, Jay. They took him out of the game. The game is over. We're out of the bubble now. The game is over. You're not out of the bubble. You're still in the bubble. The celebrating the game. The game's over. No, Key, I would feel differently as a teammate. I don't, I'm not going to stop you from hanging, partying. Just have your mask on. You didn't snap your fingers when the final out was recorded and then stop being responsible to all the people that you promised would be safe. I forgot to introduce what show you're listening to. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. I can't even believe that, Fitz. I'm glad I didn't hear that this morning. It would have made me angry all day. I already was angry all day. I I, got to hop in on it because I think Keyshawn's absolutely incorrect in every possible way. And one thing I can speak to, for example, is liability insurance when you are touring as a musician. You are covered from the minute you get to the site to the minute that the last truck has left. You are actually, Mm -hmm. you have to be insured for that entire process. So just because a concert's over at the end of that concert doesn't mean your liability is done. Doesn't mean that the protection is done. Like it is not until you have left the site and you are no longer part of that facility in any way, shape or form that you are free and clear. I don't see this any differently. I mean, if they choose to after the bubble in the sense that if they want to go out and have their own, you know, party, 
in L.A., then that's that's their decision, and uh, obviously the, the city of L.A. can deal with them on it. But when it comes to the bubble for Major League Baseball, until those players leave that site in absolute in entirety, they are the responsibility of Major League Baseball. And I would challenge that if a player was hurt in that situation on a pylon, that it would become a workers' comp issue for that player that they would take back to Major League Baseball. So I don't believe that Keyshawn's correct in any way. No, and just the idea that the protections would end up to the point when the game ends and not up to the point of them being out on the field and in the locker room and everything else is just is just ridiculous. And, and you know, I said this before, but as you're pointing fingers at MLB for why those tests were producing results for the next evening and why if you tested inconclusive, which essentially usually means a viral load that's not large enough to register as positive yet but will – then why are you out there playing, right? And then why did MLB not have set protocols in place for if this were to happen? Why was there not something enforceable and clear with very clear implications and punishment set out if you were to be positive and then quarantined and then not follow that quarantine, not stay in that isolation room and or leave the ballpark? Why didn't they have any of that in place? Would they have played a game seven? What if the Rays had won that game? Would they have followed the protocols they laid out or would they be too worried about TV contracts and everything else? All of these questions need to be answered. But also what needs to be answered is why an entire team was so caught up in their celebration, which I understand is a massive accomplishment. And as a former athlete uh, who could never even touch understanding what it is to be a pro athlete winning at the highest level, but has at least a modicum of understanding, it doesn't matter. It only matters if you've already made up your mind that you're just not that worried about it and that leads you to say things like what Corey Seager said you know it was kind of a whirlwind right there in the seventh inning where we found out but that man deserves to be out here if I could trade places with him right now I would he he more than anybody in that clubhouse deserves to be celebrating with this team he's been a huge part of this franchise for a long time Fitz we all deserve to have lives right now We all deserve to be able to see family members who are in hospitals and die without ever getting to touch the hands of their family again or say goodbye to them. We all deserve to have jobs that we didn't have to quit because our kids are home all day and don't go to school and we're incapable of keeping those jobs and also keeping our kids alive. We all deserve to be able to travel and leave the country. We all deserve to be able to walk up the stairs without being winded or not have a brain fog months after we got rid of COVID and quote-unquote recovered but still can't remember what kind of car we drive or what a toothbrush is called. There are so many aspects of this that people seem to just refuse to learn about and understand to the point that they think to themselves, well, a World Series celebration is something that COVID will not touch. It's too important. It's too meaningful. Even as they watch people's lives be lost, Even as to your point before, they hear about families who never get to see their loved ones again. But somehow a World Series celebration, mask off, sitting right next to somebody, it just it it boggles the mind. And it is such a terrible impression to be left on all the people that are watching and to be left on people looking at MLB and saying, first of all, how'd you make it through all of this without more positive tests? And it was a shortened season. So God knows what would have happened if it had been longer. But uh, how do you trust them going forward and into next season and, and, and if this is still hovering over us when baseball tries to reconvene? Well, and, and I look across the landscape and, you know, I know you, you mentioned, obviously you have an athletic background. I'll go back to the music background for me. I mean, I've got friends this year that won ACM awards that have worked their entire lives for that opportunity to get that recognition. And they didn't get what everybody usually gets in that. And it stinks. Like it's not, it's not fair. Again, it, it doesn't feel right, but that's the world we live in. I, I don't know how major league baseball handles this moving forward, but Frankly, to me, if Major League Baseball wants to actually send a message about how they wanted this to be handled and the fact that a player, according to their statement, has essentially gone rogue and done what he wanted to, no matter what he was told, the only way that Major League Baseball is going to even feel legit in this process is if they come out and they come down and and administer some sort of punishment, Sarah. Like, there's got to be a spot where everybody says enough is enough. And and I said this to – uh, one of the affiliates I was talking to out in Vegas this week, and, and I know it's not a popular opinion. I'm a Raiders fan. The Raiders have gotten themselves in a ton of COVID trouble. If it takes the Raiders getting just absolutely smacked down 
to stop this. If it takes losing draft picks and millions of dollars, fine. Whatever it takes, like there has to be a statement made. Otherwise, essentially, everybody will look around and say, okay, cool. Like That's what you think you're going to do? No worries. I'm going to be me. I'm going to do what I want to do. All of these things are supposed to be collectively bargained, and that's what I can't wrap my head around. Like Players and owners came to an agreement in Major League Baseball on how COVID will mm-hmm. be handled, and now a player has essentially said, nah, I'm good not being a part of what we negotiated we would do. I can't believe that the players would stand for that, that the, the union is okay with that, that the, the owners are okay with that. You look across the board, and the number of people that will have to bury their head in the sand to not punish this incredibly harshly is absolutely insane to me. I was messaging back and forth with a friend who's a TV producer, and he couldn't believe what he was watching and said, if I was a camera person standing right there next to all these people that I now know were near this guy, and one of whom is just wandering around maskless, who is actually doubly tested positive, I would drop my camera and I would walk out of there. That is not worth it to me and my family. And that's the part that a lot of people aren't talking about, too. This isn't just young professional athletes who will be fine. First of all, we know plenty of professional athletes have not included Raquel Armstead from the NFL, including Eduardo Rodriguez of the MLB, including college football players with heart conditions. There is no guarantee that a young professional athlete is immune to this and won't be affected. But how about every staff member, security, coaches, media, trainers, all the people that are not being paid millions of dollars, all the people that were promised a certain situation what about all the fans in the stands who were assured that they would be safe all of those things they they signed up for something trusting that the mlb would have everything in place to keep them safe and all that fell apart because one guy emphatically insisted that he needed to be out there to celebrate and then when he did so didn't even do it from 30 yards away watching and taking it all in he had to be hugging and touching and kissing it's ridiculous it's it's ridiculous. We're going to get back to this because obviously we have more to say. But this was Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. College football next. Don't forget, guys, to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast uh, where, you know, they don't press the button, dumb button. They let us get away with a little <laughs> bit more there. The content is sometimes exclusive, so you make sure you want to check that out. And in the meantime, Sarah, there are things you remember in life, like your first puppy, like the first time you have a great mo- This is a first for me, all right? My first time getting to, to start the Hi, Fran segment is we like to do this every single week and uh, bring in friends of the show. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. Hi, friends. Say hello to my little friend. He's my friend because we both know what it's like to have people be jealous of us. Alone. Bad. Friend. Good. And we're the best friends that anyone could have. We're the best friends that anyone can have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. You got that. You know, that it just feels so positive when you hear all of good. that. And then it's a warm gonna get hug. To, it is a warm hug, and, and the conversation is still going to be uh, deep. Let's dark. say that. All right. Dark. Let's head over to the Shell Penzo performance line for some high friend with Nicole Arbuck from the uh, Athletic Senior Writer there of College Football Reporter. Nicole, hi, friend. Hi, friend. Woo! See, that was good. She that crushed good. your terrible hi, friend. Oh, look, okay, I'm not good at the, like, you know, there, there are certain things, it's too, it, I, I try too hard, I'll admit it, Sarah, like, I just don't have the natural flow you do. All right, Nicole. I try too hard. Pre- the story of Jason Fitz, <laughs> out in paperback oh, next year. <laughs> it's very short novel, it's like one line, uh, but you know, it's, it's good. Uh, Nicole, we appreciate your time, thanks for hanging out with us, my friend, uh, and let's get into straight away the college football world, and it, we've just been yelling at uh, the Dodgers, uh, so I, I feel you know terrible taking that COVID conversation even further, but we have to as uh, I can't figure out what's going on in Wisconsin. So uh, let's start there. What's the latest on what is happening for Wisconsin and what's going to happen for their college football season? Yeah, well, basically everything's on pause. Um, it's a seven-day pause. Um, it was up to the athletic director, Barry Alvarez, and the chancellor. Um, they are in – so the Big Ten set different thresholds. They kind of color-coded it. So they're in an orange-red situation, which has to do with, like, the amount of – the test positivity rate, and then also like divided by the total number of staffers. Anyway, all that to say is um, they're getting very, very close to like an automatic shutdown and the school decided, okay, we're just going to do it. Seven day pause. They had 12 positive cases since their game on Friday. And they felt like that was alarm bells ringing. We need to get our arms around this outbreak. One of the positives is 
Paul Chris, the head football coach. So he'll be out a minimum of 10 days. All of the players, which there are six, um, they're under the Big Ten protocols, which means 21 days minimum shutdown um, because of cardiac testing and kind of transitioning back to, to game shape. Um, so right now they only canceled the Nebraska game for this coming Saturday. Um, but, you know, they have Purdue the following Saturday with a seven-day shutdown. You're looking at next Wednesday. Um, that seems very much in doubt moving forward, um, but they have not officially made any decisions about that game yet. Nicole, we know that Wisconsin uh, is a part of the Big Ten that has very strict rules about how long players have to be out once they're positive. Um, do you think that there will be any change the way we saw, uh, you know, in the SEC, their reaction to the false positive a soccer player got that ended up opening up Nick Saban to come back? Does it feel like there's any wiggle room for the Big Ten? That, that's a good question, and I, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, this is all a virus that we continue to learn more about with each day and week um, that passes. So I would never say never say never, but I will point out that you had to get from this point in early August where 11 presidents and chancellors said that they were not comfortable playing a fall football season. You had to get 11 of them to change their minds and agree to let this move on. So they put in pretty strict medical mm-hmm. protocols for that reason. Um, and so to me, that's still asking a lot of people who err on the side of caution to, to make a change. Um, and honestly, like, it's, it's interesting. I've been talking to coaches about this this week in other leagues about kind of how long it actually takes to get players back anyway in leagues that don't have a 21-day threshold. I mean, by the time they're going through cardiac screening and then conditioning tests to get back into, like, practice shape, it's, it's like two weeks minimum for anyone who tests positive, even with that only a 10-day isolation two and a half weeks for a lot of guys. Like it's pretty close to that threshold anyway. Um, but it just sounds like a big number and none of the other leagues have a, have a number like that associated with it. But it, it does make sense that there is a period of time after you've been like in a hotel room for 10 days that you need to go through some testing and you need to like get back into game playing shape. We're talking to Nicole Arbach, athletic senior writer, college football reporter. So Nicole, you know, I know the playoff committee has already essentially said they're not going to delay everything uh, for the Big Ten, but this is going to be the pressing question for everybody. Wisconsin's a team that has some playoff hope, and obviously Ohio State does as well. So when you start looking across the board, is there a spot in your mind where the Big Ten then tries to appeal that case and tries to get everything pushed back to give them some wiggle room? Well, my thinking all along here, especially if once they push back the selection day two weeks and everyone kind of push back their conference championship games in, in, in December, like was really just that the playoff would evaluate however many games people get in by that deadline, by December 20th. Because to me, like, I mean, theoretically, yeah, you could push back, you could do things, but it's, it's more about getting it in than it is. Uh, and they have windows. They have New Year's Day this year, right, for the semifinals. That's a big deal for the playoff. Versus, like, oh, let's make them all get to 10 games. Like, why not just pick the best teams if one has played eight and one has played 10 um, or whatever it might be? I mean, this is part of the reason, you know, we had this conversation a little bit with the Pac-12 because they're going to play an even shorter season with no open dates to make up games that might need to get canceled. And it's, it's sort of like, okay, well, you just want to get back on the regular schedule, right? Get back through a season, crown a champion, you know, have the arguments you want about an asterisk or not, but just get through with a semblance of a regular season. Like we're not focusing too much on, we're, we're focusing on baseball finishing a season, even though the ending was very uh, fitting and dramatic and kind of crazy, but like they didn't play all of their games, but they got a season in something that, that was a semblance of a regular season, semblance of a postseason, And now they can, turn the page to next season. And I think that's where college football is, where it's not like, okay, everyone needs to play a minimum of 10 games where, you know, it's just, you have a subjective human selection committee anyway, just have it be very subjective this year, pick four teams, play, uh, get through it, and then move on to, you know, hopefully a more normal spring football setting and then like a normal fall 2021 if you can. Athletic senior writer for college football, Nicole Auerbach, with us here for Hafran on Spain and Fitz. I saw you going uh, back and forth uh, with my old colleague here and friend, Jane McManus, about 
the editorial um, on myocarditis in athletes. There was a real fear early on that it was a significant percentage, particularly in football. Um, Now there's an editorial suggesting that perhaps there's much lower level of cardiac risk for athletes who test positive. But as Jane pointed out, the authors are working with NCAA sports on this study, and there's a, a clear potential conflict there. Big picture, not just to this study, but in general, does it feel like student athletes and coaches and the people covering this all feel like any of the conflicts that they were super concerned about without independent doctors and independent people at practice making sure protocols are being done right um, feel safe and like things are handled the way they've been promised? Or are we still hearing stories popping up where people don't feel like the, the, the rules set out before the season started are being followed? Well, I'll say that it's actually kind of hard to tell because a lot of these schools are not being transparent, even just the the amount of tests and the amount of positives, um, the amount of players that are being held out for contact tracing. They're not being – they're not required. This is part of the problem with college sports, right? You can have conference rules, um, but a lot of decisions are made up to each individual campus, so you're not getting a lot of transparency. And the reason we heard certain circumstances – in the preseason summer, like out of Colorado State and some other places, was because people went to social media. Because you're not going to get this stuff voluntarily from schools. Um, so I, I, I would caution anyone to just be a little bit skeptical about anything that we're hearing. Because, again, like there are a lot of people have a lot at stake about getting through games and getting through a season. And, um, you know, I mean, everyone knew there were going to be disruptions and uh, postponements and cancellations, and obviously they've now hit every single league that is playing again. But it's it you know you have to figure out okay like you know what is what are incentives? Are you incentivized to, to try to get through a game or to make it work? I mean, you saw Vanderbilt play a game with 53 available scholarship players. The threshold is 50. Sorry, it's 56, and the threshold is 53. Um, so you're seeing you know like when you're getting close to the margins of, of needing to cancel a game, you know, you want to make sure you, you're hoping that everyone is following the protocols, that you do have independent parties signing off on things. But again, we just don't know. So, you, so you've got to hope and trust that people are doing what they're supposed to. And again, all the coaches that I've been talking to about kind of return to play protocols have really emphasized, you know, again, the cardiac screening and all the things that people have been going through um, conditioning tests and, and certain benchmarks that obviously there are trainers involved and all of these people, which, again, they do work for the school. But there are people making sure that things are happening in the right way and not putting anyone at risk. And so I, I think you just got to hope that everyone is doing that across the board, but also just remain skeptical because we don't know. And, and these athletic departments are notoriously, um, you know, not transparent about stuff like this. You guys can follow her on Twitter at Nicole Arbach, and you can obviously check her out on The Athletic. Nicole, you have crushed the reporting on this from the get-go. You've done a great job. Thanks so much for giving us the time. We really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye, friends. Bye, friend. Bye, friend. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive, proud to honor our veterans by donating cars to move their lives forward, especially in times of need. Learn more about the Keys to Progress program and plans for 2020 at keystoprogress.com. Coming up, there's so much NBA news. We're going to try and cram it all into the next segment. You don't want to miss it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and ESPN and the ESPN app. Wikis with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. That's right. Nothing but class on all of our opens. There we go. Let's start with some of the news, and it starts with some Sixers news. Daryl Morey is going to be the the now president of basketball operations at this point. President of basketball operations for the 76ers. Uh, that means that he's going to be there, but so is, at least currently, Elton Brand. So a little bit of a surprise to have somebody uh, come in there and be sort of an extra layer within the 76ers organization. Steven yeah. Silas has been a prominent part of that Houston search. Uh, he's been in Dallas. I don't think that's what we wanted, yeah, though. We'll get that, but, Sarah. Did you, yeah, any thoughts we will, on Maury? Yeah, I mean, I do. I think one of the interesting things is how he got a ton of great publicity for what he was doing, continuing to manipulate the Rockets and keep them in the mix, even if they didn't always have a big three-type set of players. But uh, over the end of that time there, there was the issues with China and Hong Kong that threw the, uh, the league itself into a bit of a 
of a, of a tailwind for, for a bit there. And then there's some question marks about how people see him uh, as a communicator and as a treater of the players that they ink. And, and that'll be interesting going to a place like the Sixers that already has so many issues. Who's really in charge there? Is everything that they said about keeping all the superstars uh, in, in Embiid and Simmons on the roster going to hold now that they've brought more in? Or is he going to try to convince them that those two guys can't be a harmonious fit and something needs to change? Uh, there's a lot of cooks in that kitchen. I, I, I'm very curious to see if they can establish a certain amount of power structure that keeps them working together and not in opposition. Yeah, three celebrity chefs in one kitchen to me. Doc Rivers, right. Elton Brand, and now Daryl Morey. So we'll see how that move, looks moving forward. But... While Moore is on the way out for the Rockets, we now know who the head coach will be for the Rockets. Is Steven Silas is their new guy. This is what Woj said, ESPN NBA insider on SportsCenter, about why the Rockets picked Silas. Steven Silas has been a prominent part of that Houston search. Uh, he's been in Dallas under Rick Carlisle most recently as an assistant and has coached some great guards in his career as an assistant coach. Luka Doncic, Kemba Walker in Charlotte, Steph Curry in Golden State. And I, I know that the Rockets really liked his innovation offensively and the ideas he had to build a new system now around Harden and Russell Westbrook. And listen, this is somebody who grew up in the coaching profession. Obviously, his father, Paul Silas, not just a legendary player in the league, but really an outstanding coach. And, you know, he certainly comes with great pedigree to the Rockets. Fitz, this so, is a guy who put the time in, right? Uh, 20 seasons as an NBA assistant under guys like Rick Carlisle and Steve Clifford. Um, first hire for the new GM, uh, who replaced Daryl Morey, Raphael Stone, who took over with the Rockets, and got a very strong thumbs up from from his guy Luca with the Mavs, uh, which is which is a nice thing to hear if you're if you're anyone with the Rockets that uh, Luca says this is a good hire. Yeah, and uh, I think it's interesting how long he's been around the league. That surprised me when I first read that. For whatever mm-hmm. reason, I didn't put two and two together with that. But it's also a sign that the Rockets are going to look much different there. I mean, this is just a reminder that it's a total new regime. So let's see what that means for the style of play we've become so accustomed to. I mean, Absolutely. new coach, new regime, new offense, we think. But the NBA is still a star-power-driven league. So I, I, that's going to be another interesting dynamic to look at. And then one and more also, big... really quick. Oh, go ahead. Uh, the fact that there are the rumors, Houston Chronicle is reporting that the team is looking for Nate McMillan, Jeff Hornacek. I don't know if that's to add along to assist him in his first effort as a head coach, uh, building some of those veterans around him, or if they were looking for head coaching roles. But uh, that would be a great move by them to support him with those veteran voices. Yeah, you know, you make a really good point with that, and it's sort of an under-talked about, like, I'll take all the coaches I can get on a, yeah. on a side. As long as there's a, a good communication on who's the leader and what everybody else is doing, I think it can be a valuable asset for everybody. So uh, a good point by you. And now uh, one more quickie to get into, and it involves a really interesting conversation around the Raptors. Now, obviously, the Raptors are hoping, like everybody in the NBA, that life is not in a bubble for their next season. But if it's not in a bubble, Sarah, they don't really know where they'll play because Canada is not still, uh, they're, they're not opened up at the point right now where the Raptors would be able to play their home games in Toronto and welcome other teams from the NBA in. So you've got cities all over the U.S. sort of pitching for their case on why they should be the alternate home for this year for Toronto. Yeah, we're getting a, a Blue Jays situation all over again, right? Uh, is is uh, Buffalo in the mix here? I know, I, <laughs> I know our guy Stosh, who's a big Chiefs fan, said Patrick Mahomes has been putting in the pitch for KC. Uh, but it's wild to think about um, that. It's sad to think that we we are back in this situation um, with a whole other season approaching that likely would have to involve uh, a, a country, America's hat, if you will, America's attic. Uh, still being much more vigilant than we are to the point where there won't be movement between us. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I said at the time for Major League Baseball, and I'll say it for the NBA, it's a great chance to try out a city that wants an NBA mm-hmm. team. I mean, I do think that there's real value to that. If you're going to displace everybody for a full season going in, then let's see what the actual market will hold for. I know, obviously, arenas won't be full, we presume, all of those things. But you can still at least lay some roots and foundation for the NBA to grow in an American city by yeah. having this opportunity. So it's strange, like, because the Raptors, let me be clear, sir, I, I, we all know the Raptors aren't going anywhere permanently, but the NBA is, like every other sport, always looking for cities to use as leverage or cities to use for his expansion. Fitz, if you had the choice, you're the Raptors, you want to play in KC, Buffalo, Newark, Seattle, 
Where, where, where would you want to go? Uh, oh, Kansas City is such a great sports town, but I, I mean, Seattle is such Seattle. a great NBA town. Like, Seattle I just feel is like so I, hungry. Yeah, I, I just feel like Seattle would be a, a really crazy atmosphere. You'd be you'd sort of have that feeling of rock gods while you were in that city, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like is that would that be your choice too? Yeah, I think, and, and maybe a little bit more of the cosmopolitan feel of a Toronto than, say, a KC. You're going to get some good barbecue in KC, but it's not going to look a whole lot like Toronto. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think for Seattle, that's just so just, uh, they're still so wanting for the NBA right. to come back. I, it could be a perfect uh, We saw what they did marriage. to the Kraken. Sold out right away. <laughs> still love that name. <laughs> Hey, there's one great thing about the World Series being over, and that means you get full shows for Spain and Fitz. Okay, that might not be the only great thing about it for a lot of people in L.A. No more sports. Good news. There's nothing to watch. You have to listen to us for two hours. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, all of our guests join us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. And Sarah, let's hop right over there because the Dodgers are World Series champions. And we really want to get a sense for all the conversation that we're having about the good and the bad of last night. We want to get a sense of what it's like for somebody that's right in the thick of it. So on the Shell Penzo Performance Line, we're joined by Molly Knight, the Athletic LA author of New York Times bestseller, The Best Team Money Can Buy. Molly, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Obviously, you've been around LA. This is is your team. This is your passion. So let's start with the positive here. What's it like when you You've watched this and you've gone through all these years of being so close to finally be able to say the Dodgers, your Dodgers, are World Series champions. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Honestly, last night, um, I had this feeling because I've, I've seen this happen to the Dodgers so many years in a row. But like when Blake Snell was pitching the game of his life and only up one nothing in the sixth inning, I had this feeling of like, oh, my God, the Dodgers are hanging around and could steal this game. And because I've seen it happen to them on the other end so many times. And then when it actually happened, it was just, it was incredible. Um, you know, my jaw hit the floor when, when Kevin Cash pulled Snell out. It remained on the floor uh, when they took the lead. And then when the final out was recorded. It was so easy. It was like a you know, strikeout looking to end the game. And then, of course, you know, five minutes later, Justin Turner tests positive for coronavirus. And then, you know, like half an hour after that, he's back on the field celebrating with everybody. And so my jaw was basically on the floor, (laughs) you know, a good two and a half hours straight last night. It's very on brand for the Dodgers. Molly, I keep saying this, but it, it can't be repeated enough. 1988 is no 1908, but I do understand yeah. that if you've literally only been alive long enough to never see your yeah. team win, it fe- and when they get as close as often as they do, I think that's a big part of it too, to have as much talent and as much of a spend and to not be able to pull it off, it feels like forever. Oh, so yeah, to have sure. this, And I remember like yeah. when they first you know, went to, when this all started back in like 2000 and really around 2008, I think they won their first, or 2006, they won their first playoff game in like 20 years or 18 years. You know, so it was just a long time of just nothing. But, you know, when when you first go, like like the Padres, when they went this year and it had been a while, it was just like, you know, super exciting for them to be there. And the Dodgers had all this pressure on them, like, you know, we have to win the World Series and anything less is failure. Um, So you just have a different perspective when you go every year and you lose. Yeah. Um, and so for that to happen and just feel like being you know, stabbed in the spleen every year <laughs> and then for this to happen. It well, was that's what like, I wanted to ask you about, though. Like you yeah. finally win, but the year you win, you're not going to every ballpark to see the games. Yeah. You're not getting the parade. How much is that a gut punch to say like, oh, if it had been last year, or the year before, or the year before, instead of now, it would have just been different. Yeah, I mean, no, for me, too. I mean, I've been following the team, you know, for my uh, my whole life and then just in my professional career writing a book about them. And then, you know, I made the decision supported by my by my company uh, that I, I just I didn't feel comfortable going to Texas, you know, during the pandemic and being around being in a stadium with 11,000 people, even though, you know, it was it was open um, to fans and to media. And I just didn't feel right. And I, I struggled with that to think, you know, I, I should be there. But then I thought, you know what? Like, yeah, it, it, this is like, this doesn't exist. This game does not exist in a vacuum. This is the real world. This is the reality of what we, we've been living in. I would have loved to have watched last night's game and a big, big party of people. But, you know, we're in a pandemic. I'm not going to do that. And so um, it, it's definitely weird. I think in some ways 
um, it was hard for, you know, obviously for fans not to go to games this year, but in some ways it means more because this year has just been so awful for everyone um, to have a little bit of joy. It's just, it's so, you know, it's just so valuable and so, um, so welcome and such a relief and, you know, it just, it just was what they, what they were able to do this year. It really, really meant a lot to this community. We're talking to Molly Knight. You can check her out on the athletic LA author of the New York times bestseller, the best team money can buy. So Molly, I got to ask you before we get to any of the, the tougher stuff on this, I got one more on the joy, sure. right? Like, cause I'm a lifelong Raiders fan, so I don't know what it's like to win a championship. So uh, <laughs> like now that you've had this moment, does, how does yeah. the, the sort of joy weigh against the pain like that's always my question in these situations the pain of years versus the joy of now well i will tell you it's erased it i mean i think that um uh, all the for me especially just seeing um seeing kershaw you know fall short year after year and just knowing him and how devastating um that is in general just a really really good person and i really believe that you know i like to see good people you know, achieve their, you know, achieve success and earn, you know, he, he earned it. He kept failing and then a lot of the narrative wasn't fair. Some of it was fair, but a lot of it wasn't. And, um, and I, but none of that matters anymore because now he's a World Series champion. And I think, um, I, I, I think that the, I, I think that winning it once extinguished the pain of failing to do it the last, you know, seven years. So, so in that sense, it was like seven times. I, I know what you mean. Like the highs aren't really as as highs as the lows are low, but um, but it all feels worth it now. It feels and like it feels like you earned it. I mean, I really feel yeah. like the Cubs win was almost somehow better because it took a century. Yeah. Like it felt like how lucky yeah. am I to get to be alive for this? Molly oh, Knight is with us on Spain win, and Fitz. Yeah, the Cubs win was awesome. I mean, what I felt was was really sad that so many people died without seeing it. Yeah. You know, so many yeah. so many people were going to their their parents' graves, their friends' graves, their grandparents' graves and taking the newspaper, which was a beautiful thing on its own, but that was just that was the, the hard part was was well, but um We gotta but, yeah, get to the hard I mean, part, Molly. Great. We got to get to the hard part because I, I another oh, part of this it. was, yeah, not even just missing a parade and not being there in person, but you barely had time to have your jaw drop for the excitement before the Turner stuff yeah. happens. And you tweeted yeah. today, MLB is right to be angry at Turner, but they turned the whole bubble concept into a farce when they sold tickets to 11,000 fans in a raging pandemic. I agree with yeah. that with the fans. I agree with that concerning playing someone who's got an inconclusive test instead of doubling down and making sure that you know that he's negative before he's out there. But you have to criticize Turner for going oh. back out there and the team, right? Were you surprised that the team seemed so flippant about him coming back out, hugging and everything else? I was shocked. I was shocked. I was disappointed. I was angry that it felt like it was overshadowing what should have been a joyful moment, you yeah. know, for the Dodgers and their fans. And angry that we couldn't hold like one nice thing in twenty twenty. I couldn't believe it. I mean, the fact that he was hugging people and at one point, you know, took his mask off um, to pose in the photos and was sitting next to Dave Roberts, the cancer survivor of all people. It was it was shocking and disappointing. And it was a horrible mistake that I think he's going to have to he's going to face the music for. It's not going to be good for him. MLB came out strongly against it today and they were right to do so. It was a horrible look. Um and, you know, I understand that he was, that it, it, he's been on this team forever and they finally did it. And it's devastating not to be able to celebrate with your teammates. But my God, people have been canceling weddings and, and, and baby showers and graduations and kin- first days of kindergarten and, you know, having to ha- not have funerals. And it's just, we've all had to miss out on horrible, horrible, you know, horrible things to miss out on. And it was a bad decision. He's not a selfish guy, but it was a selfish act for sure. You guys can follow her on Twitter at Molly underscore Knight, reader on the Athletic LA. Molly, I really appreciate your time. It's nice to have some some fun conversation, but also appreciate your willingness to talk about the other side as well. So we appreciate you coming on with us. Congrats. Anytime. <laughs> oh, thanks. I mean, yeah, like I can't imagine, Sarah. And you, so weird. It, it's Sarah. such a weird you, thing. God, if yeah, the Cubs I mean, had finally won it after all that, and like they'd been like it, after the after the final out, they'd been like, "Oh, we regret to inform you that one of the Cubs players just murdered someone." I would be like, "What? What? No! Not after uh, all this!" Like, 
Give me 24 hours. Come on. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive's Home Insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. So Molly just gave us a lot of information there. We need to react to some of it. And a real question of how did we even get there for Major League Baseball? How was this allowed to happen? We'll dive into it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. I'll be honest. I didn't know until last night that there were so many people so passionate about analytics and baseball, but boy, did Twitter blow up. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Sarah, I mean, there, the questions that were coming all of a sudden about the decision to pull Snell was really, it was funny to me as I watched every single sports fan on Twitter make some sort of an analogy about analytics and why they're ruining sports or why they're perfect for sports. <laughs> like everybody suddenly became an expert. It's like every time a coach decides to go for two, all of a sudden every person sitting on a couch decides they could do that job better. That's what was happening last night uh, during the World Series. I was laughing about it in the moment. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I was laughing so much as I was like, what the fill in the blank, Um, (laughs) just the rage of being an athlete and being in the moment and wanting to be out there and winning and and questioning, you know, and I I heard Jess Mendoza say, you know, this race team was here because of their uh, reliance on analytics, their willingness to embrace advanced statistics. But sometimes in the moment, you got to override what the, the numbers are telling you and use your gut and taking out Snell. Oh, it was tough to watch, and you almost knew what was going to follow, and that's very revisionist hindsight history. But um, I, I immediately wrote, he is going to be fuming, and then watching how things fell apart after that, I could only imagine what he was feeling. Well, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, there's a moment for me where what I want from a coach or a manager or anybody that's in charge of game-time decisions is gut feel. I want somebody that will trust their instincts because that's part of why I think a coach can be great. At the same time, there's always such a fine line, like when Ron Rivera came out with the Washington football team and said essentially that he's judging the quarterback position based on gut feel. Everybody looks at it and says, well, you can't give that as an answer. And then when you've got the opposite of it, where, you know, somebody's looking at it and saying, hey, this is what, you know, this is what our process tells us. uh, Everybody sort of erupts on that side. There's probably a fine line in the middle of all of it, but. As I as the decision was made, all I kept thinking was, I've got to believe that Cash has been good enough to get them to this point. So I'm going to trust his gut instinct, and then it didn't work. And that's really what this is all about. It's not the fact that they pulled Snell. It's the fact that they pulled Snell, and then and it, it didn't work. Didn't work. Yeah. Now, right, Buster Olney, ESPN Baseball Insider, talked about why it didn't make sense this morning on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zuman. When he went out to get him, I had texts from people around baseball who were like, no, this has gone too far. Look, there there are tons of numbers that support the decision, you know, third time through the order. But those are based on things that happened in the past and not what was going on last night, which was that Blake Snell was totally dominant. And I was striking out nine of the first 18 hitters. 16 swings and misses among those 73 pitches he, he threw last night. And all those numbers uh, didn't necessarily apply to what was in front of Kevin Cash last night. Yeah, it's, uh, it's brutal to hear those numbers. And he wasn't alone. Even Tim Kirkshen went on a rant. The kind, friendly, nicest guy in the world, Tim Kirkshen, went on a rant last night of just where baseball has has gone, where there's more relievers uh, getting more innings than starters. The reliance on starters is gone. The, the analytics take over in ways that sometimes belie what you're seeing with your eyes. I would say one of the only people, other than the Dodgers hitters, who, who were happy with that cash decision because they didn't have to face Snell anymore, uh, the only person who's happier – about that decision now is uh, is Justin Turner because we're spending even a second talking about it instead of him. Uh, but for the most part, as my uh, as one of my Twitter followers said, Kevin Cash, great. All everyone's going to talk about is my decision to pull Snell. Justin Turner, hold my swab. Right. The reason that we're not spending <laughs> much more of the show on that decision to pull Snell, which is what we would usually be doing after a move like that, is because the focus is so much on what happened after that with Turner and the Dodgers. Yeah, and uh, by the way, speaking of the swab, it is funny because we've been talking about that uh, throughout the course of the day. We do have some news from Spain and Fitz Nation, and it was Jess that hit us up on Twitter earlier and said JT had already been on the field and in the dugout already exposed to everyone, including the race support staff and umps. MLB should have known something was wrong before the game started. I think that's going to be, and that, by the way, is from the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. 
I think that's going to be part of the conversation that's going to be happening for a long time from all of this there. It's not just the decision, uh, uh, obviously, that was made from, from cash, but also the decision how they got to the point where Major League Baseball even had Justin uh, Turner on the field. So Right. Well, uh, two that, things on that quickly that, also. That person is right, but, uh, you know, whether his teammates had been exposed – Increased viral load can increase the severity of infection. The more droplets you get, the the longer the potential exposure is. More time next to somebody who is ill can provide you with greater viral load and a deeper and worse infection. Also could have exposed all the other people who weren't in contact with him. Any player that wasn't near him, any family member, any staff, any media, any security, all those people. So the people who are saying, who cares if he came out to celebrate, he was already in the in the dugout for seven innings. Uh, it, it, that's irrelevant if you actually understand how this virus gets transmitted. Well, and there's also two things, a, a human element to this. Or let's start with the collective bargaining thing that I'll always go back to. There, there are policies and procedures in place, so it doesn't really matter what anybody thinks. There's policies and procedures in place, and that's part of what was violated. But the other part of it is I remember when I was on Golik and Wingo one day, uh, about a year ago, year and a half ago, whatever. I was I was sitting with the guys, and I was like, "Man, I just don't, I don't, I don't feel great." I'm going to be honest; like, I don't feel great. Nobody had an issue with it; like, I just didn't feel great. But I really didn't feel great. So I went to the doctor right after, and this is rare for me. And that's when they came in and said, "Oh my God, you have strep and the flu and a sinus infection all at once." Now Ooh. they sat next to me and were fine with it because everybody knew I didn't feel good, but it's not a big deal. If I had gone in the next day and been like, okay, guys, I've got strep and sinus infection and the flu all at once, but I'm still going to sit here at work. Everybody would have told me to get the heck away. Like, there's a difference when you know and when you don't, whether that's right mm-hmm. or wrong. There's just a difference that's real. And the minute you know, you have a responsibility. That responsibility changes from a human element of, okay, now I know what I'm supposed to do. I, I've been te- I, I, I'm positive. I've got to handle it differently. So, Sarah, I, I think that's got to be part of the conversation, too. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. It's not just all the failures that led to him having an inconclusive test and playing anyway, having a positive test and being removed but not prevented from returning. It's the decision that he made that what he wanted to do and what he wanted to celebrate was more important than the health of everybody around him. And, uh, you know, you heard some of the comments from his teammates, and and I even heard um, in in another soundbite, it felt wrong for the Dodgers to be out there without him because of the role he'd played on this team. It also feels wrong not saying goodbye to your family. It also feels wrong not sending your kids to school and not being able to have a normal life. The reason that we're in this position is because people keep choosing their personal desires and wishes and needs over everybody else's. And that's exactly what we saw last night. Now, I'm curious, Fitz, whether you think – the criticism that Manfred and baseball got for not doing much to punish the Astros will influence him to do more now in terms of punishing or to do less because people will hold it up and say, wait, these people cheated their way to a whole title and he got more of a punishment. Which way does he go? Yeah, That's a great question. I think that Manfred continually has just been quiet when it comes to punishment, much like Roger Goodell at times in that that's what's got to change. So, no, I don't think he will be harsher, but I think he should be harsher. That's the, mm-hmm. the most frustrating thing about Major League Baseball and really sports leagues in general is that they're all talking a good talk. But when it comes down to actually enforcing that talk, uh, they're completely invisible when they need to be actually more demonstrative than ever. Coming up, uh, we'll change gears a little bit. We're going to bring in a former NFL exec to talk trade deadline and week eight. Coming up next, Spain and Fitz. Oh, we like it, though. We prefer we prefer you trying too hard to not at all. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. You're, uh, your half ran still sucks, but you try. Uh, Sir, I'm not that far removed from the fat kid that played dodgeball as a kid. Like, I tried too hard with Jason that. Fats. I tried too hard. You know, yeah. It's just part of, it's part of who I am. You know, I'm just <laughs> wired in there. I'm an effort guy. You know, that's what they say about me at the Combine, effort. Yep. You're scrappy. You're scrappy. <laughs> Uh, joining us now, former NFL exec Randy Mueller, 2000 exec of the year. Um, he's going to talk a little bit about a ton of storylines. We spent a lot of time complaining about various baseball things, but uh, Randy, we're going to we're going to clean our palates with some nice NFL talk. Thanks for giving us the time. Hey, no problem. Good to be with you guys. I saw the baseball game myself, and I'm I've had enough of it as well. I'm, I'm not uh. a numbers guy. You know what I mean. Not a number <laughs> well, let's start with a team that's putting up pretty serious numbers in the Steelers. I had uh, I had to admit that uh, my gut was telling me Titans, and I looked at the Titans' defensive numbers and switched my pick to the Steelers, and they ended up yep. getting that W. 6-0, and the only undefeated team. What are you seeing from them? 
Well, you made a good choice, that's for sure. I tell you what, I, I mean, it's hard to bet against their defense the way it is. They're the most, I think, balanced team in the AFC, at least currently, with Ben playing okay. He's not even really reached his, I don't think, peak yet for this season, but it's their defense that's been carrying them, and it showed last week. I think in this matchup, you know, with Baltimore, they play them this weekend. It's really all about the protections, and it's about really the fascinating part to me is how the Steelers are going to really rush Lamar Jackson or not. I mean, we said for years the mush rush is how you how you control these athletic quarterbacks because you want to keep them in the pocket. I'll be interesting to see interested to see if the Steelers do that. So, Randy, then in your mind, who's the second best team in the AFC right now? Well, I mean, I, I think I think the Titans are are really um, the most for, formidable uh, against everybody else except the Steelers, you know. I think they're a really good team. I think the Steelers and the Titans rematch. I don't think I don't think we've seen the end of that battle, that's for sure. So I think those two teams are there. You know, everybody else has seems to have a little bit of a flaw. Um, not a lot of depth with teams at the top. Obviously you've got to consider Kansas City. I mean they have one loss, right? But they just there's something uh missing grit wise with a team that has to do it again you know they got to tape up and and practice again and play again and they've already reached the pinnacle so we'll find out just how much Kansas City can tune it up obviously it won't be against the Jets but at some point we're going to see them match up good again Randy Mueller of MuellerFootball.com with us on Spain and Fitz I've seen the proof against the Bucks that when teams rush Tom Brady and put a ton of pressure on him that's the key to victory. It worked for the Bears, who can rush four really well, don't even have to blitz to put the pressure on. Uh, the teams that aren't doing that, as an executive, clue us in. Is that just we don't have the personnel? Is that just our secondary isn't good enough to be laid out like that to bear and, and get beat? Why wouldn't a team at this point be throwing everything at Tom Brady? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you get to pick your poison, right? You die a slow death or you die a fast death. <laughs> with, with, with the blitz, comes risk and you really weaken yourself in the back end but i'm with you sarah teams i think i always wanted to go down swinging right i didn't want to go down by decision i wanted to go down swinging so i think it's a philosophical approach that defensive coordinators have um i think there's enough numbers now in front of us there's seven full weeks of game film you ought to be able to figure out the trends and figure out teams tendencies i think there's several teams now that have figured out that if 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 we can blitz and pressure on third down, we have a lot better chance. And obviously the, 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 the defenses that have not come after Tom Brady, let's face it, the, the Raiders let him sit in the, uh, in the pocket, and he didn't look 43 to me. He looked about 33, you know. So you just can't sit and give Tom Brady time. We're talking to Randy Mueller, former NFL executive uh, and executive of the year. You can check out his website, MuellerFootball.com. So, Randy, when you talk about sort of aggressiveness in general, let's talk about team-building aggressiveness. The trade deadline's coming up, but Sarah and I talked about it yesterday. This is a very strange year with COVID. So, if you were sitting in a front office right now, how would you approach the trade deadline? Well, I think for one thing, I would probably put the artificial deadline as tomorrow, right? I think because of the COVID protocols, if you have a guy in your building tomorrow, he can at least play the following week. If you wait till next Tuesday to make a deal, which is really technically the trade deadline, they have to sit out another week. And, and I'd like them for that one more game, if at all possible. So if I was sitting in the front office, I would, I would have a, uh, a trade deadline that, uh, in my mind, was tomorrow or, or at least by Thursday night and uh, use that for starters. I think the fact that it's later in the season does give you a chance to know your team much better. You should know your weaknesses. You should be able to know exactly what's out there on the market as well. We've seen some defensive linemen change hands the last you know week, maybe even 10 days, that I never thought would happen because defensive linemen are so hard to come by. But it seems to me like because the trade deadline is a little later, that you do actually have that baseball uh, vernacular of, of sellers, and buyers and that really hasn't been in football for very long because usually the trade deadline was week six right it wasn't until a couple years ago they moved it back it's spain and fitz on espn radio the espn app sirius xm channel 80 don't forget to subscribe to the spain and fitz podcast so you never miss any shows and our pre and after parties randy mueller former nfl exec with us you got a story up right now on muellerfootball.com about the sort of halfway point focusing on the uh, the new low reached by the cowboys but also some highs at the quarterback position 
you know, I'm always thrilled for teams when their fan bases can say, we got our guy. And it looks like Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert are the guys. We'll get a chance to look at Tua Tungavailoa this upcoming week. Is there any fear with Joe and Justin that a Baker Mayfield situation could happen where you're not really sure into the second season who you got, where there's a drop-off? How much of this might be teams have never seen him before? Well, I think though there's always going to be a little bit of a hiccup. There'll always be a speed bump. But I think this group, and if you throw two in there, which I think he'll prove to be a, a quick learner as well, it's a special group. And I think from that standpoint, the pressure then – like you said, you, you, you wait for your guy, you get your guy, but then the pressure, I think, goes to the, to the franchises themselves and the organizations to continue to be aggressive or, in some cases, uh, change gears and be aggressive. I don't think Cincinnati's been real aggressive in the past. Really, the Chargers haven't really gone out on a limb and signed free agents and been aggressive, adding to their talent level, but I don't think they have any choice to now. I think they owe it to the quarterback they owe it to their fans they owe it to everybody to do everything they can to surround these guys with better players i think the dolphins have done that already and maybe are a little bit ahead of the game in that regard they spent a lot of money last offseason and i've said from day one that they were they're a decent team this year and i think that's you know uh really not going to take a back seat just by putting two in i think they feel in miami that two is really better for them short-term as well as long-term. So I think the pressure goes to the organization. Once you do find your guy, I haven't seen anything out of these young guys that lead me to believe that they're not the guy. And uh, now, now it's up to you to find some talent to go with them sooner the better. And you got to keep them upright. So it might start with the offensive line, that's for sure. Randy, real quick before we let you go then, let's look at Burrow because you mentioned you got to put better talent around. The Bengals have tried that. I mean, they've spent they've tried to spend money on draft or draft picks on the offensive line, but it's still just bad. What do you do when you're an organization that can't seem to analyze one position specifically? Well, you better analyze the analyzer then, in my opinion, Jason, because they have spent a little bit of capital. I don't think they've spent near enough, and they haven't found the right connection. I think they're going to have to go back and look at how they build their team, how they set their criteria for evaluations. They've been shaky for many years they've never really been aggressive in the way they pursue talent so i think in, in when you swing and miss you obviously got to change your swing or change something and they've got to change the way they evaluate talent and build their team in my opinion spain and fitz sarah spain jason fitz talking to randy mueller former nfl exec 2000 exec of the year okay so we're roughly halfway through what's your big takeaway on best teams in the afc and nfc right now well, I think we talked a little bit about the AFC. I think you're looking at the Steelers, you're looking at the Titans, and, and probably Kansas City. In the NFC, um, I, I, I mean, uh, how could you not go with Tampa the way they're playing right now? Tampa's finally uh, going to get healthy with some guys at receiver, and also, um, you know, they're just hitting their groove right now. They're going to get Ant Antonio Brown starting a week from now, or, or this week, actually, and, and they're going to be set. I mean, it's... Uh, it, it then again becomes a, a period of adjusting and getting the new guys in the loop of things. But I think they're going to be tough to beat in the NFC. I'm still not counting out the Saints, and I know their defense isn't the best. Same with Seattle. Their defense isn't the best. But those quarterbacks, I trust them. Um, obviously, Wilson, obviously, Breeze, proven track record. Those guys are going to be hard to beat. And I'm not saying that Rodgers isn't in the mix either. So I'm going with the quarterbacks in the NFC. You've heard the teams that I like in the AFC. Awesome stuff, Randy. Always appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Randy. Randy Mueller with us on Spain and Fitz. Follow his work at MuellerFootball.com. Coming up, we'll get to some of your tweets on Justin Turner and the Dodgers, plus the syrup that drizzles. It's next. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We have a couple more thoughts on the Dodgers' big win last night and the Dodgers' big loss last night in the form of Justin Turner taking the field after a positive test and all the fallout that's to come. But before we get into that, I think we need a little palate cleanser. This show has been a little angry for good reason, but still a little angry. Oh, and yeah. nothing's a better palate cleanser than Rob Gronkowski answering a very simple question in a way that is not at all simple. Rob, that back shoulder fade with you and Brady, we've seen uh, in the end zone two weeks in a row. What makes that connection with you guys on that particular throw so special and so difficult for anybody to defend? 
Yeah, I mean, it's like a saying my mom used to say, uh, it must be maple syrup because uh, butter don't drizzle like that. You know, you don't got much time to react uh, and, and syrup drizzles. You got to, I mean, yeah, syrup drizzles. You got to make that play. Uh, and, and a stick of butter, it's a block. You got to put it in the microwave to mm -hmm. melt it. That just takes too long. You got to make that play right away, baby. And, and that's why, you know, that's why I'm like the maple syrup. That, that's why she used to always say that because I'm quick with it. I just drizzle all over the place. Thank you okay. so much. No yeah. problem. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, thanks so much for that. I don't think that's what your mom meant when she used to say it's got to be maple syrup because butter don't drizzle like that. I don't think she was talking about needing to get the pass to you quick and hit you at the right time. I think it probably had a completely different meeting, but I appreciate him bringing what I presume to be pancakes into the mix. But we can all agree that, that drizzle all over the place. <laughs> I, I think we can all agree though, that maple syrup is actually like, it actually makes pancakes worse, right? Like, okay. This is one you know what? You've tried to, you've tried to make fetch happen enough times at this point. No one agrees with you that maple syrup sucks. Everyone likes it. No, everyone, no, look, everyone is in. I, I am one. Look, I am only one person, but I can lead this charge. I can change America for the better. All right, that this is this is America. Like I want my pancakes with a little bit of butter and nothing else on them. If they're good pancakes, it's like pizza. Pizza doesn't need toppings, just cheese, right? Doesn't need any. Okay, but I think we all help. know that Mrs. Gronkowski says it's got to be syrup because butter don't drizzle like that, and everybody wants to drizzle it. on I the cake. Drizzle all over the place. That oh. sounds very different without the context, by the way. Yeah, I just, I'm fair. putting it out there. The phrasing is problematic. I, I think we should use the full clip from now on. Uh, I'm going to put it on the poll, by the way. I know the show's almost over. Put it um, on the poll. But I'm going to ask just, people, just... is Jason Fitz right? Does syrup suck? And I'm pretty sure the answer we're going to get is not going to make you happy because it's basically just liquid sugar. And I don't know how you're going to fight that. That just Look. feels silly to me. It feels like a fool's errand. I, I, and believe me, you know I love sweets. Like I am a, I, I have a problem, right? But there's the for me, maple syrup is all about like a like a weird sticky texture thing. I just don't need it. I, I just want a little bit of butter. Is what gets you? Yeah, you know, it, you're it, supposed to put it in your mouth, not hold it in your hands. I also don't want my pancakes to be soggy, Sarah. Like this is this is basic food. Okay, well then right let's here. get back to what Mrs. Gronkowski said. It's all about timing. It's got to be syrup because butter don't drizzle like that. You're you're eating your pancakes like a stick of butter when you need to eat them like a handful of syrup yeah uh, no you just need to take your pancakes put a tiny bit of butter on them then just if a you want tiny roll them up bit and of eat yeah. butter just, just need a little bit of butter you on do it realize that pancakes are basically the same as cake it's just you're replacing frosting with butter and syrup so if you have a tiny bit of butter then you're just eating dry cake well, you know what? A, I love dry cake. Well, no, actually, I like cream what cheese icing on my bread. What is wrong but, but, with you? Look, I'm just saying. I don't want, like, okay, another weirdism, though. I don't want, like, warm cake. Like, everybody gets warm carrot cake with, like, the cream cheese. No, I don't want it warm. I want my, my icing cold. I want my cake cold. I want my desserts cold. I do not want warm cookies. I don't want drizzly maple syrup. I want, my, I, I want like, congealed things that I have to chew. Yeah, okay. Well, you, have a, you have a serious problem, uh, and it's going to be addressed <laughs> not at this time.